Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing pat at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing pat at the hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when, the, and when he had said this, and Saul approved of this execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is the reading of God's word. All right. You know what? I think that might have been my mistake. Uh, I'm trying to be a big boy preacher and start to use the clipper, the, uh, the clicker. Uh, but I forgot that uh, they were anticipating me to use the clicker. So I apologize for that um, disruption. Amen. You forgive me? Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Would you say <laughs> All right. Well, praise the Lord. How is everybody doing this morning? Man, I'm so excited. I'm so humbled. So uh, pleased to be with you here at this moment and uh, just really going through a, um, just um, a dynamic passage of speak, uh, scripture. You know, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I used to be in the military, right? I used to be a paratrooper. That means I jumped out of perfectly fine aircrafts. And part of my training was, of course, to go to jump school, right? Now, I chose to go to jump school. I I chose this job as a paratrooper. And so as I'm going through the training, right, you know, I'm excited. You know, I was kind of arrogant back then, so I'm just, like, really pumped up. You know, I'm I'm having flashback of all the G.I. Joe cartoons and stuff that I watched growing up. And then the day came of jump day and the way you graduate is that you have to have five jumps to graduate and so this was day one of the first jump and i'm gonna tell you when i got in the airplane and realized that i was about to jump out of this perfectly fine aircraft (laughs) you know the stomach got to growling and uh the heart got to beating but as the plane began to take off right and you're in the air, you could begin to feel the vibe that I wasn't the only one on the airplane that was nervous, right? Because the arrogance and the bravado that we all displayed was now silent. And we were all just trying not to look out the window to make this worse. And so I'm on the airplane, I'm thinking like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. I got, you know, I got all this equipment on. I'm thinking like, I'm beginning to think about all the dangers that could happen, landing in a tree, landing in a river, getting eaten by alligators. I mean, I've just got all these crazy things going on. But you know what pushed me out of that airplane? It was, (laughs) well, not this go round, but what pushed me out of the airplane was my, was the fear of having to deal with not going, right? Not going out of that airplane. You see, if you were a jump refusal, meaning that you went on this airplane and you decide not to jump, well, you become basically the biggest scrub in the military, right? And so I didn't want to be that scrub, you know? And so the fear, that fear of, of um, somewhat being persecuted, you know, by my fellow soldiers, you know, my fellow leaders, right, drove me out of that airplane. You know, and that's kind of what we're going to see today. We're going to see 
God getting his his people out of the airplane, well, out of Jerusalem and into Judea and Samaria, right? And he's going to do this, and he's going to push them by putting the heat on them. And so that's kind of what we're going to be going through as we look at this uh, passage on this morning. Um, And at this time, we usually take a time to sum up. what we've been studying. For those who are new today, we've been going through the book of Acts. It's a moving train. Oh, one thing. If you don't have a Bible, raise up your hand. Uh, Brother Alex is back there ready to pass out Bibles. Also, in this community, we are, we are open for you asking questions and giving input, you know, as long as you think that is beneficial to the body. And so we've been in the book of Acts for like probably the last 20 weeks, and it's been a wonderful, a wonderful um, time as we're learning about um, God building his church, right? And so I'm going to go through kind of uh, the summation of what we learned thus far from a different angle, right? God is building up his church, but part of building is nurturing, right? When you first come to MacAv. And you're a new Christian or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but, you, um, but you're not used to going out to make disciples, right? We bring you in and we begin to disciple you. And our discipleship model here is relationship, ministry, service. So when you come here, we don't immediately kick you out and say, go on Mac and preach, right? We bring you in. Right. We begin to build you up. We're nurturing you. We're developing a relation with you. We're pouring a word into you and we're serving you. And we with the ideal that then you will grow in your faith to the point where you can go out and serve and make disciples. Amen. And so you see the same thing kind of unfolding in the book of Acts. Right. So you see the church. Right. At Pentecost, it's form, it's birth, but it's an infant church. And what you see is that God, when you go to um, Acts, um, you go through Acts, you see the church's birth. Then you see the church began to be nurtured. You see all the new believers, they coming together, they're fellowshipping, they're breaking bread with one another, right? They're uh, getting into the word, they're learning from the apostles' teachings, Right? And then, you know, um, you know, they're going right. And then God wants to remind his kids, right, that sin is real. So he killed a couple of people who uh, blaspheme and lied against the spirit, against the spirit, just to let the children know that it's real. I'm a holy God. Right. So that's part of the nurturing, you know, every now and then, you know, your parents know you got to tap your kids behind when they get out of line. And then, you know, like new believers, drama comes up and they're bickering and stuff because the Hellenist Jews feel like their widows are not being cared for. So what God do is he, he, he begins to give them a little structure as now we see deacons come into the picture because once they go out into the world, right, they're going to need each other. They're going to need the Holy Spirit. They're going to need to the word and they need to have a little structure. And so God... Uh, is preparing them to go. And then I want you to notice that the church's existence at this time was relatively easy, right? Because if you're a parent, right, you're protecting your children, right? But, but there does come to the point where the children are going to have to, like, leave up under your protection. And God used the apostles, Peter and John, to sort of protect the children from the Jewish leaders. Because at this time, only Peter and John was catching all the heat. The Jewish leadership, they were scared of the church. And so the church is just chilling. They're going to Roman's Joes. They're just living the life, right? They're just, they're just having a good time and fellowship. And they're looking at Peter and John, and they are taking the beatings. They're the ones that's going against the Jewish leaders, right? But the church was safe because God was giving them a time to nurture and grow. But now, over the last three weeks, we see that what God is doing is he's preparing to leave Jerusalem 
right? And to go out into Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so now it's time to get his children ready to go. Hey, you know what? Can you handle the slides? I'm still learning how to multitask, so maybe the next sermon, I'll go ahead and click it. All right. All right. And so to do this, what God did was he raised up Stephen. Right. We were introduced to Stephen probably about three weeks ago. And Stephen was a man who the scripture refers to as uh, being full of the spirit, wisdom, faith, grace, power, and having the face of an angel, right? And so God, what he did was from amongst his children, raised up one of them, right, to use to spark the new mission that they were about to go upon. And so he raised up Stephen, and he had Stephen to do three things. He used him in three ways. First of all, he used him as a messenger. He used him as a model. And then he used him as a martyr. Uh, the messenger part, Eric uh, talked about last week or the, uh, the last couple of weeks. And we saw in Acts 6, 8 through 15, Stephen is arrested and put on trial for blasphemy, for blasphemy against the holy place and the law. And then in Acts 7, 1 through 53, God uses the trial of Stephen to give Israel one last opportunity to repent and embrace their king. Right? And so... And so that's the messenger part. So Stephen, right, he wasn't just a, a deacon, but he had a prophetic ministry. And he was going in the synagogues and in the synagogues, you know, was the Jewish leaders. And we also uh, feel like Paul, right, was also in the mix. And he's debating with them. And it started off as friendly debate, right? They're just going through the scriptures and everything and talking and debating. But they couldn't resist, they couldn't resist the wisdom that Stephen was hitting at them, right? Stephen, this man full of spirit. And so what they do is they began to plot and secretly uh, raise up false witnesses. And uh, basically they want to put him on trial for blasphemy because they're trying to get him to shut up. Right? And so, right, and so now we got... Uh, Stephen as a model, right? And so he came as a messenger, right? He gave Israel the message, right? He had this sermon or this, uh, uh, they put him on trial. And what Stephen did was he wind up and turn it around and he put Jerusalem or put Israel on charge. They charged him with blasphemy and he just told how Israel never kept the law. They always was disobedient. They always was idolatrous, right? And basically they were the one to needed to repent and to receive and embrace their king. Right. And he, he did this in a very masterful way. He started with just going through the history and talking about uh, talking about the Pharisees favorite subject them. Right. And he's affirming that, yo, I believe what you believe. Right. I believe all these things. But then Stephen believed that all those things was fulfilled in Christ. Right. And so what we saw here is Stephen's final days mirror Jesus' final days and are a reminder to the church of the hostility that the world will have against them. You know, when I was going through these scriptures, I'm going to tell you, it was really hard to relate because I'm an American, right? I'm an American evangelical. And when I think about persecution, my mind always goes overseas because here, you know, we're... <laughs> I mean, we got it easy, right? When we feel like we're getting persecuted is because they won't let us have a nativity scene outside City Hall, right? That's the things that we get up in arms about, right? Persecution, right? But when you think about persecution, you, you, your mind drifts overseas. And you think about the young lady from Sudan, right, who is being who's literally being persecuted, Right. And she's out of prison, but they're still trying to go after her. And they brought and basically they're saying, yo, you was a Muslim because your daddy was a Muslim. You're a Christian now. Right. And that's the death penalty over there. And they brought her to court 
And she was facing, right, the Sudanese court. And they asked her basically to recant. And this, this woman, I don't know how long she's been walking with the Lord. And they said, we're going to give you three days. And she was like, I don't need it. Right? I don't need it. And they put her to jail. Right? So when I think about persecution, I'm thinking about the voice of the martyrs. I'm thinking about uh, ministries like Gospel for Asia. I'm not thinking about me. So when I look at the scripture, it's very hard for me to relate to it. Because I'm not going through it. Right? And it was the same thing with the church. You know, they didn't think about persecution. You know, they saw that Christ, yeah, they saw Christ went through it and they saw the apostles, but it wasn't their reality. And so what God is about to do, and he's going to use um, uh, Stephen to do, is to remind them that this is part of your reality. And I think this is a timely message for the church today in America, because once again, we got it easy. The world, this, this country, right? They don't hate us because of the cause of Christ. Right now, they're annoyed with the church because of our politics, right? They are annoyed with the church because of our, our morals and trying to force everybody to live as Christians, right? Nobody likes a goody-goody, right? But as far as Christ is concerned, yeah, they know that we represent Christ. But once again, in this country, everybody got a different Christ. So here, we're not persecuted or we are not suffering because of the cause of Christ. We're really suffering just because of our ineffectiveness as preachers of the gospel. You see, over in the Middle East, it's all about Christ, right? It's all about Christ. It's not about all this politics. It's about Jesus. And if you are representing Jesus, well, you're going to catch it. And I think it's getting like that in this country. Because what I notice is that now they're not letting us get away with little Christian terms. Right? Back in the day when they say, hey, are you against homosexuality? Well, you know, the Bible says uh, love the sinner and hate the sin. Right. That was kind of the default. It was able to basically say, hey, I mean, it's what the Bible says. Right. You know, but now what they're saying is like, yo, are you going to celebrate us? Right. Right. Are you going to um, show favor to us? Right. And so now what's happening? Well, you know, the sinner, or the guy says, hate the sinner. No, I didn't ask you that. I asked you, were you going to celebrate us? And now what's happening in this country, we're about to get to the, to the, to the heart of the matter. We're about to get to Christ because now we got to begin to defend the word. We just can't say, yo, you know, we can't just rely on simple Christianese, but we have to get to the point where we just said, no, thus saith the Lord. Right. According to his scriptures. And then we're going to have to hold on to those scriptures and then not only holding on to those scriptures as we're having a prophetic voice in this country and begin to tell them about the real Jesus. Then I think we're going to have a little heat. And the one thing that I also notice about the passages that we're going through is that God used that there's two type of Christians. There's Christians who preach the word boldly and Right. And what they do is spark persecution because Stephen's bold preaching of the word God used to spark persecution. Right. So either you're going to be a preacher who's creating a spark or you're going to be the Christians that's going to feel the heat when that spark ignites the flame of persecution. And family, I pray that we will be bold leaders, that we will be able to speak prophetically to our community prophetically even to the church as the church in this country is so mary poppins and i say mary poppins is because we always talk about the prosperity gospel and all those things and we know they're clearly wrong but the gospel that's going forth is this candy coated gospel where the offenses of the gospel is whispered but those that that grace and love is shouted and when I say Mary Poppins, you remember that term, uh, spoonful of medicine, 
A, full, a spoonful of sugar make the medicine go down, right? We're doing the same thing. We're, we're sugarcoating the gospel. And so we say, hey, God loves you. And, you know, we're all not perfect. And, you know, you should repent because, you know, right now the wrath of God and everything is under them. You know what I'm saying? But he's gracious and merciful and loving. And he's the only way. So I'm just saying, you know, and everything, you know. Right? That's not the gospel. That's timidity. That's not boldness. That's a fear of man. And so what God does is he raises up Stephen. Right? Right? Because the church is looking at the apostles and they're looking at Stephen and how and they're looking at Christ and how often like we see what Christ did and we know that we have his spirit and so we should be able to do those things. But psych, but psychologically we go, well, Jesus is God, you know, of course he could do that. I, I can't really do it. Right. So what he does with Stephen is he give us a model. Follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And so when we look at Stephen's life, right, and we look at his final days, we see that he, just like Jesus, had false witness brought up against him. Right. Him, like Jesus, had the Pharisees stirred up. Right. 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 They both had the Pharisees stir up the people against them. They were both brought before the council. They were both accused of blasphemy. They were both accused of not keeping the law. They both had associations with the high priest. They both, um, no, Stephen dealt with the same people Jesus did, right? This is their life. It's a mirror. And I don't think that that's just uh, coincidental. I think God is retelling, I think Jesus through Stephen is retelling the story of his death and it's to encourage his people to stay firm. And even the way that we're going to see Stephen died, he died like this savior, right? He died forgiving his killers and even to the burial, right? They both were buried by devout men. And so that's Stephen as a model. Right. And so next slide. So John 15, 18 to 21 says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the world that I said to you or the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to see our motto, Stephen. In action. Now, he gives this um, defense of what he believed and basically saying, no, you know, I haven't blasphemed Moses. I have not blasphemed the law. I just believe that Jesus has fulfilled all these things. And as he's going through it, right, and it seems like he's calm and he's just teaching, right, but then he just starts to preach. And what we hear here is he just begins to indict the Pharisees. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in the heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it, right? He came hard, right? And we're going to, right? And so now this finally brings us to our message, well, to our passage that we're going to work through today. And that's Acts 7.54. Here's their response. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Now, we are an ESV church with a taste of NIV. But sometimes when you really want to bring something home, 
you bring out the King James, right? So I dusted off my King James and I found this verse. And it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. To be cut to the heart is deep feelings of exasperation, rage, and rage and anger. You see, when you read they were enraged, sometimes we begin to just think like they were really, really mad, right? But this was more than just really, really mad because they got their heart sliced, right? Stephen cut to the core and you know what he hit? You know what was at the core of their heart? It was their righteousness. Oh, I could take a, a bruise to my ego, right? You could come and crack a joke on my clothes, right? You could talk about my pointy ears, right? I mean, you could do things that would bruise my ego, talk about my barbecue, right? You know, this was more than their ego getting bruised, right? He got out to their righteousness. Have you ever got hit in your righteousness, right? Some of you are like, what is that, right? That's when you, how can I explain it? It's when you have this area in your life that you think that you are the bomb, right? Yeah, you know you're not perfect, and you know you're a work in progress. But when it comes to humility, oh, I'm that deal, right? And you know, and you know how you can find your righteous? Because when Eric begins to preach and he'll come up here and say, you know, today we're going to be talking about humility. You perk up in your seat as if you heard your favorite song on the radio, right? You're just like, oh, this is my jam. I should preach on this. I can't wait to get to Mac group and just talk about humility, right? You're excited, right? But when somebody comes along and say, brother, I think you have an issue with pride. Their words cuts to the heart and it feels like a kidney punch to the soul. And this is exactly what the, 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 the Jewish leaders was feeling. You know, I remember when I got hit in my righteousness. Me and my wife, we were separated at the time. And um, I was hanging out with some of my boys and uh, my best friend and then one of his friends. And we had played ball, right? And so we were coming back from the basketball games and, and uh, his boy was a Christian. He was one of those new annoying Christians, right? That just wouldn't shut up. So... We're talking like, yeah, so me and my boy talking about, yeah, man, we're about to, uh, you know, go home, get dressed, go hit the club, go party, you know, go hang out, just do all these type of things and stuff, right? And remember, I'm separated from my wife when I'm out here partying like a single man. And you know what that Christian said? He goes, man, you should go home to your wife, all right? No, he didn't say why. He said, you should go home to your family, and man, that cut me. Because my righteousness at the time was, hey, I'm a good father, you know? I take care of my kids, you know? I, you know, they, I see them every day. I love my kids, right? Because I look at the world and I'm judging the, the standards of the men around me and they weren't doing much. So I'm like, man, I am far beyond them. You know, I'm like the Heathcliff Huxtable of the hood. Daddy knows best. But when he said, and it was just really simple, go home to your family. Right then, my manhood was checked because he put this picture on me that was the reality of what I was doing. And I was like, dude, you're walking away from your your family, right? Because to be, to, to be a family man, is not just the kids, right? It's also caring for the mother of the kids, the wife, right? And so it cut me to the heart and I just turned around in my seat and I just started cussing him out. I was angry, right? But I couldn't hit him. I wanted to hit him, but I couldn't. But that's just an example of just really being cut to the righteousness, right? And so the Jews, right? 
They had prided themselves on their obedience to God and their worship of God. But here's what Romans says about their keeping and their obedience. It says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. So here's the thing. Israel had this long history with God. God pulled Israel out of the world, gave them the law so that they, the law to point them to Christ, right? And so they had this whole history, right, of keeping the law or trying to keep the law and pursue the law and try to find their righteousness in the law. But then the Gentiles come along who was basically pagans all their lives. They get it. They get it. What an indictment. And then here Paul goes to say, why? Right? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am lying at Zion, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So who was the stumbling stone? It was Jesus. When Jesus came, they just couldn't get their minds wrapped around the fact that he was the Messiah, that he was the righteous one. Right. They couldn't get their minds. It was a stumbling stone. They were stumbling over each other. You know, I just love the word stumbling. They're just, they were clumsy as, as pristine as they thought they were, as as righteous as they thought they were. They were just clumsy, were just clumsy fools. And they missed it. And, but Paul is still praying for them because he says, brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. All right, next slide. All right, so now, Stephen here, he's now really upset these guys, right? He cut to the heart. And now he's looking in their eyes. But as we see in Acts 7 55, it says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. The glory of God. Wayne Grudem in his systematic says, the glory of God is the visible manifestation of the excellence of God's character, the greatness of God's being, the perfection of all his attributes it is something we can never fully comprehend, but before which we can only stand in awe and, and worship. Right. And so he looks up. Right. And I was trying to figure out, like, how to uh, paint the picture of this scene. Right. So Stephen is standing in the courtroom. These dudes are ready to, to kill him. But then he winds up looking up, right? So he looks beyond his circumstances and he looks up. And in Psalms 31, it says, 31, 13, it says, For I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life, right? So he's looking in the face of terror of men who plotted against his life, men who are ready to kill him, right? 
But the Psalms go on and says, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies for and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Right. Verse 16. Make your face shine on your servant. And Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up and saw God's shiny face. Right? That's that the, the Shekinah glory that Wayne Gruden here is, uh, was talking about. And we see it in Ezekiel 126 through 28. And it says, above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it was gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was a brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. Right? So the glory of God... As Ezekiel is saying, so it's like in the Old Testament, that Shekinah glory, and Eric talked about the Shekinah glory, right? When he says glory, glory, Shekinah meaning glory, right? So what he's looking at is the Shekinah, the glory. It's this brilliant light. It's this, it's this radiance of who God is. And, and as I'm in this church and I'm looking up here at these lights and I look up and it's so blinding, right? And, and I just think about Stephen in this situation where even though he got all these terrors around him, he's like looking at this blinding light. And what does he see? He sees the glory of God, but then he also see at the right hand, Jesus, who is the radiance of God, who is the the image, the imprint of God. And so he's like this. So God gives him this great gift in his moment of great trial. Right. And so what he's looking at is the glory of God, the glory of God that the Israelites try to hide in the tabernacle. Right. They tried it. They associated it with the tabernacle. They associated it with uh, with uh, the temple. Right. As Eric said, they tried to put God in a box. But here, Stephen is looking at God and all his glory and looking at his his savior, his king, his treasure. I'm going to tell you, friends, it is the best near death experience Ever. You hear people talk about those near-death experiences where something happens and their life flash before their eyes. Here, Stephen is literally near death, looking into the eyes of his killers, and he has the wherewithal because he's full of the spirit to look up. And what do he see? He see his eternal life passing, right now passing, standing still in front of his eyes. And it gives him a peace, right? It gives him a calm. Because then when you go into verse 756, he begins to minister. Who does that? Right? How many times we find ourselves freaking out over the board exams? Or freaking out because of the bills coming? Right? And sometimes we get to the point we're we're just we're we're, we're so, we feel so defeated we feel so fearful and what we do we look down and when you look down all you can see is the feet is the ground beneath your feet but notice when you look up and you look up into the sky and you look up into the heavens your eyes see much more they see the wideness of the heavens right the skies and they can see higher and they can see further and your eyes begin to struggle because they want to see beyond what they're physically capable of seeing right we don't look up your god is not on the ground right 
Let us not have a low view of God like the, the Pharisees had. They had a very low view of God, right? That's one of the reasons why in the discipleship binder, I love the fact that our leadership, right, our pastors uh, put in a document that talked about raising our view of God. Because it's so important because oftentimes we we come to this saving knowledge and we know enough about God that we are in the kingdom. We've repented, right? We put our trust in Savior, right? That's a saving knowledge and that's great, hallelujah. But there's much more to God, right? Right? Because God is omnipotent and he's omnipresent and he's everywhere and he's eternal. He's powerful. He's big. And so we need to move from this infantile stage of just kind of learning just the ABCs of, of God, right? Which is good. Learn it. But let's, let's, let's wrestle and struggle and, and, and dig into the words to learn who God is. To dig into the words and begin to, begin to suck up in all of who he is, begin to learn his attributes, begin to uh, learn how much and how deeply Christ is our treasure. So when we are faced in the trial, so when we are in times of persecution, all we need to look up and let our meditation, let the meditations of our heart remind us of the big God we serve. You see, God gave Stephen the gift of a visitation, right? That's his vision. I don't know if that's going to happen to us. <laughs> so we need to make sure that his vision, right, is our meditation. Amen? And so he got the calmness. He's cool. He's calm. He's collective. On the other end, they're cut to the heart. But in his calmness, because he has that, that peace of God, he is able to continue to minister. And it says, and he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing pat at the right hand of God. Now notice he didn't say all of what he saw. He didn't say, I saw the, I'm looking at the glory of God, right? Because, because Israel rejected God, right? Because they rejected Jesus. And now God is no longer for Israel, right? But then he also, he didn't call, when he's talking to the, to the Sanhedrin, he didn't say Jesus, but he said the son of man. Next slide. And this term son of man refers to both Jesus' humanity and his deity. Um, it was a term that Jesus used most of himself. Right. He didn't go around talking about I'm the son of God because, you know, he was very subtle in the beginning about who he was. Right. So he used this term son of man because it's, it's not as bang in your face. Right. Because everybody is a son of man. And so when he used this term and he referred to himself, you know, at, at times it was really no big deal. And it also points to kind of his suffering. Right. The fact that he came as a suffering servant. And so we see in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give life as a ransom. We see in like Mark 8, 31, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer when things be rejected um, by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes be killed. And after three days rise again. And so you just have these, um, these scriptures where he's just talking about, you know, his suffering. But like I said, the son of man was, it was, it had a double meaning because it also points to his deity. And, uh, it says when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. John five twenty seven it says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Right. And then here's the biggie, right? And so when Jesus wanted um, to begin to reveal himself um, as, as God, as the exalted ruler, uh, he used this term son of man in a different way. And so it was almost like depending on the context he was talking in, you could kind of tell what he was getting. But here, there was no, there was, there was no subtlety, right? So Matthew 26, 63, 66 
Jesus is in the in Sanhedrin. He's in court with the same men that Stephen now is with. And they said, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand. Right? So when they asked him, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? He says, I'm the son of man seated at the right hand. Or you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heavens. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard this blasphemy. What further witness do we need? Uh, Oh, okay. We repeated that. All right. All right. You know, I do like to repeat myself. So, um, so when they heard Jesus talking about the son of man, right, what got them all riled up? Why were they just like, ah, blasphemy, right? Because there's an element of everybody is the son of man. It was because now he was talking about not being the son of man as a suffering servant. He was talking about the son of man that you see in Daniel 7. I saw him in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancients of days and and was present before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So when they heard him in this context say that I am the son of man, right? I will be at the right hand of God. They understood that he was saying like, I am your ruler. I am your king. I am here. And so here, Stephen is affirming, right? He's affirming that he sees what Jesus, you know, declared. And their response was to kill Jesus. And now they're going to kill Stephen, right? You know, the sad thing about this, you know, it's just, it's that, that hardening of the heart, Right? And Eric talked about this last week where, you know, God gives us a chance, you know, to repent. But eventually he lets you, you do your thing. He turns you over. And here Israel, right? They rejected all the prophets. They rejected Christ. And now God in his mercy and grace, you know, gives them Stephen to give him, to give them to give one final testimony, right? To give them one final opportunity to repent and embrace the exalted king, right? And over times in the scripture, you see that they had a hard heart. And then Stephen comes, right? And it wasn't just Stephen, the apostles, they preached and they cut to the heart. And hey, that heart was tender. That heart was sore, right? And, and you know, and sometimes I, I think about when I'm street, evangel- street evangelizing and I'm preaching to somebody and I'm ministering to them and they just like, yeah, and they're all in. And I'm thinking like, oh man, we're about to close the deal. I think they're about to come to Christ. And I'm thinking like, man, it seems like the Lord is doing something. Their heart is tender. And then they go, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I hear you. All right. The thing is, is that it's okay for people to consider, you know, the gospel, to go home and to think about it, right? But, we're, but at the same time, when God is giving you an opportunity to repent, and if some of you are in here, right, and God is giving you the opportunity to repent, but you're like, nah, I first got to see if the Bible is truly the word of God. Or, well, I don't know if that Bible speaks to everything that's going on. Well, I'm going to go and see what they're saying at the kingdom hall. Or I'm going to go see what they're talking about in the Mormons, right? And here God has sent a messenger to you to preach his gospel, to tell you to repent and to embrace your king. 
you know, I don't, you, you know, you just don't know how much time that you have. And so go ahead and consider, but make sure you're considering this with some urgency and that God won't harden your heart. Right? Like we see with the Pharisees. And so they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Right? They heard the message and all together in one accord, they charged after Stephen. And man, I'm telling you, I see that same dynamic happening at the world, happening in the world, right? Do you, it's amazing how we talk about women's rights and the women's rights movement always want to jump on the Christians, but they leave the Muslims alone and the Sharia law that, whew, you know, it's a, it's a rough place for a woman, right? And I always wonder, like, Okay, why you don't say nothing to them? <laughs> right? You have people that want to go and save the dogs and save the puppies. Right? And save the environment. And they go, I'm not voting for dot, 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 dot because they oppress the poor. And then you silently vote for somebody that kills babies. Right? And promotes the killings of the babies. And broaden the, broaden the law to... To, to be able for people to have more freedom and killing the babies, but they want to turn around and yell at the church, right? So the world is killing babies. The world is oppressing women. Here we are with the saving message of grace. Here we're trying to raise the world view up of women. We're trying to raise the world's view of babies. We're trying to raise the, wor- the world's view on God Right? And the world with one accord is rushing in on us. And it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, they're coming from you. Because on one side, they're talking about liberty and religious freedoms. And what they're doing, they're locking hands with Mormons and anybody who have the same agenda. And they're praying and they're fellowshipping. And then you look on the other side and they just all off the chain. I'm sorry. And then the Christians come along, right? And you totally lose your prophetic voice. So on one side, you're like, hey, y'all down with the environment? Me too. You want social, you want social justice? Me too. I ain't going to say nothing on the other stuff. And then the other thing, you want religion? I want religious freedom. Man, I ain't going to really call you out that You know, y'all worshiping false gods. And what's going to happen eventually, even the church is going to raise up with the rest of the enemies of God. And they're going to rush in one accord us, the true believers. Because when you look at history, it always happened. It happened in the Old Testament. It happened in the first century church. And trust me, it's going to happen in this country. And so family, you really need to make sure that you are preparing for what's ahead. You know, I wanted to like preach this sermon and there's a part of me that wanted to bring it down to our, our issues. When we say, man, when we're going through tough times, you know, we got to learn to trust God, right? And our tough times is, it's kind of like our own like I said, bills and college and schools and this and this and everything else. And, you know, maybe a death in the family. And those things are tough. And I'm not trying to downplay it, right? But here God is talking about persecution, right? The world being hostile to us. And they haven't changed. It's still the hostile world. But the only thing is different here is that we haven't got to Christ yet. But I'm telling you, as we continue to proclaim the gospel, as God raises up bold men that will go and preach a cut heart gospel that will penetrate to the men, to the heart of men, that we either have them shouting, what must I do to be saved? Or picking up the stones. Either way, God is going to get the glory for those who are being saved and then as well as those who are perishing. But the question is, will we be bold enough to preach in a way that will cost us something? 
So often when we're talking about, um, and, and when we look at hard preaching, right? Preaching to that heart, we, we limit it to the scriptures and to the apostles and to the pulpit. So Eric is up here and he's preaching a hard gospel. Or Leon come up here and he's preaching a hard word. But then in our personal evangelism, what do we do? We kind of tone it down and we're a little more quiet. We leave the hard preaching to the professionals and to the, the scriptures. But in those personal, we're just kind of like, well, I just want to share my faith. Right? Right? I understand that term. But I, I want you to kind of maybe look at it differently. Not just sharing your faith, but proclaiming the gospel repentance for forgiving of sins and so you think about this and you say well alvin are you talking about just going around and cutting it calling everybody stiff neck right brood of vipers right no right but as a minister of the gospel you got to have more than one tool in the box when you look at jesus right jesus was he was tender right when he talked to the woman at the well right he was just like, you know, yeah, you're looking, basically you're looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah, you, you off the chain. You not only got, yeah, you got many dudes, right? He called her out on her sins. You got five husbands, right? He wasn't afraid to call her out on her sins and then point her to him, right? And he did it with a tender touch because it would happen a dialogue, but he still went there. All right. I just did an Eric Russ. He still went there, right, with the hand motion. All right? But then sometimes Jesus didn't have that tender touch, but he brought a punch. When he says, you whitewashed tomb. When he went against the Pharisees, he didn't hesitate to call them out. Right? He didn't hesitate to go hard on them. And Stephen, he didn't hesitate to go in on them. But then I want you to look at this, right? Because now we're about to see martyr. Israel rejects the message and kills Stephen, and his death sparks the first Christian mission. You know, it says, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against me. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Go up. Go back to the last one. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knew he was going home. Right? And the more that he glazed at the glory of God, right? And the more that we, right, are, are growing in our understanding of God, the more that we're going to want to learn to be with him. Right? And but... Here we see Stephen, and we see his faith. He didn't say please, right? This word received, it, 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 you know, it, it, it has the, 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 the backing of, he said, he's basically commanding, right? Jesus, you said, right, that you were going to receive me, right? You said that to be out of the body is to be with him, right? You said it. You're going to receive me. I know it. And what he's his prayer is that God, you do what you said you was going to do. Receive my spirit. No fear of death. None. This whole process, he was calm. And now he gets to go home to his great reward. Receive my spirit. And then falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. <clears throat> Stephen was bold, right? But one of the reasons why he was so bold, right? He was, in, he was filled with the spirit. And being filled with the spirit, right? There's also love. He was able to preach boldly. Because he also loved deeply. You know, the thing I realize is that the more I fall in love with God and his word, the deeper 
I have the deeper ability that I have to love you in this community, right? My wife, my children. And the deeper I go into the word of God and I learn about his love and his beauty and his holiness and his righteousness, the more boldly I can love this world and the more boldly I can go into those relationships Right, And more boldly, I can speak truth because I love the person that I'm talking to. I love them and I want them to see them come to Christ. I want them to embrace Christ. I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want them to be internally separated from the king. I want them to come to Christ. And so I'm going to preach hard. And if it's a tough word, I'm going to preach that tough word. If it's being tender, I'm going to be tender, but I'm going to do what needs to be done. I'm going to preach the gospel with integrity. You know, Stephen, if Stephen was preaching at Heart Plaza, right? How many of you probably would have went across him and just say, oh, he's mean, right? If Jesus preached today, Right? In this world where it's all about love, 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 grace, you know, just love, right? This distorted view of love. They will once again drive them to the cross. Right? So let us not walk as timid men in this community. The community needs to know that you love them. And the way that they know that, they, that you love them is not just being a faithful or being a good neighbor. Be a good neighbor, right? But, right, be spirit-empowered neighbors, right? But they truly going to know that you love them when you go there with them. When you begin to talk about spiritual things. When you begin to present yourself in your neighborhood, not just as a good neighbor, but as a minister of the gospel. And I think it's time for us to uh, to be quite honest, to step our game up. They know that we're good neighbors, but do they know how much we care about their souls? Do they know what's at stake? Right? Do they know when things get tough, they can knock on your door at 3 o'clock in the morning for help, for prayer? Right? Do your neighbors know that? All right. Go on. And so I just want to encourage you to go in power. Right? Go in power. And then also I want to encourage you to go together, right? Keep going. And uh, I went over an hour, so I'm trying to wrap through this, amen. I was in the spirit, all right. But also, right, so I want to encourage you to go, to go in power and to go together. I also want to encourage you to go with the word. The reason why I say kind of going back and I say go together is because we are the church. And one of the areas that I think we need to grow in as a church is to begin to love the church more than we love our relationships. Because we come to MacAv, right? And we fall in love with relation with people and we're not falling in love with the body of Christ. And so like last year, right, we had an issue with one of our own kind of raised up against the church and threw some darts at us. And what happens as the leadership was trying to like deal with the theology of what was going on and trying to keep unity in the body. We had a lot of people upset about a relationship. We had people leave because of relationships. And what happens is, is that this hinders our testimony in the community. When we're trying to go and we're not united together. Right? The world sees that. Why would they want to be with us? Right? And so I really want to just encourage you to learn to love the church more than the individual. Right? Stand up for righteousness. If the leadership is doing something bad, then say, according to scripture, dot, 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 dot. Don't come to us and say, you hurt my friend's feelings. 
right? We must fight for purity and unity in the camp so that we can be gold. When we go, we could be bold in this community. But we got to be bold amongst ourselves. And we got to also love the church more than the relationships. And I love you as individuals, but I do not love you more than I love the body of Christ. Amen. So let us go together. Go to the word, right? Go preaching repentance, preaching forgiveness, and then go in love. The Lord do not hold this sin against them. We preach hard. We say tough things, but we love them. And the last one. And remember, you're not going alone. You know, this is a very popular passage of scripture in our body. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And look at that last part. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us. Right. He's with us.